Our second reading this morning is from Acts chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 4 through 12. Hear the word of God. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came to a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elumas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, we ask that you be present with us this morning, for we need to hear from you. We pray that amid all of the changing words of our times, you would speak your Eternal word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So my plan uh, for this morning was to talk about two evil leaders. One evil leader, a Jewish king, the Bible said, did much evil in the sight of the Lord. The other evil leader, a Jewish prophet in Cyprus, the Apostle Paul looks him straight in the face and says, You son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness. My plan this morning was to talk about two evil leaders, one secular and one religious. And that was my plan not because I enjoy talking about evil people, but because I am an exegetical expository preacher. There are two kinds of preaching. There is topical preaching And there is exegetical or expositional preaching. So what's the difference? Well, the topical preacher begins with a topic. Some theme or subject that he wants to talk about. Maybe it's, you know, the theme of happiness in marriage or the theme of overcoming temptation or the theme of the duties of a Christian citizen. The preacher comes up with the topic or the theme... He usually has some ideas about that subject. And then he goes looking around in the Bible for verses on that subject. Or he goes looking around in the Bible for verses that prove the idea that he already has on that subject. It's called proof texting. I had a religion professor in college, a gay, pot-smoking farmer from Maine who had graduated from Harvard Divinity School and whose main religious activity was doing weddings for his celebrity friends. 
rock stars, Hollywood types. This professor smoked like a chimney back in the days when people still smoked in offices and college classrooms. This professor used to love to quote two verses of scripture to justify his smoking. First Corinthians six nineteen. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God? And Revelation fifteen eight, and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. This was his biblical proof that God approves of and endorses smoking. Now, he was being silly, of course. He was a very silly man. But that kind of silliness is always possible with topical preaching because the preacher usually has an idea of what he wants to get across. He has some point that he wants to prove. And then he goes looking around in Scripture for verses that confirm or support his idea. I'm sure you can see that that could lead to all kinds of problems. So that's topical preaching. I'm not a topical preacher. The other kind of preaching is exegetical or or expositional preaching. And that kind of preaching, which is what we do here from week to week, we begin with the text, with the scripture passage, and then we try to figure out what God is saying there and how that applies to our lives here in this congregation. Topical preaching begins with the idea and then goes rummaging around in the Bible for confirmation. Expositional preaching begins with the Bible and spends its time trying to figure out, well, what does that mean for us? Two different approaches. And among... Well, actually, I'm not going to talk about that. So in this church, we do expositional preaching. We preach through whole books of the Bible at a time. We start at the Acts of the Apostles, actually, at the beginning of last year, and we're still working our way uh, through this very rich book. We do this kind of preaching because we believe the Bible is the Word of God. We believe that the Bible contains everything that we need to know for our salvation and everything that we need to know about how to please God. We don't need to add anything to the Bible. And we don't dare skip over any part of the Bible. All of the Bible is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, as we read in 2 Timothy 3.16. So I am an exegetical, expositional preacher because I trust the Bible more than I trust myself. I'm an exegetical, expositional preacher because I want to examine and critique what I think in light of what the Bible says rather than examining and critiquing the Bible in light of what I think. You see that difference? So that's why I'm an exegetical preacher. Having said that, today I'm going to preach topically. I'm not going to preach about the two evil leaders that we meet in our scripture readings. We'll come back to those next week. Today I want to talk with you about uh, three timely topics, which is you know not my usual procedure. So here are the topics. First, I want to talk about trauma and chronic stress. So that's a psychological topic, and I want to talk about it psychologically. I also want to talk about it spiritually. 
Second, I want to talk about the violence on Capitol Hill this past week. That sounds like a political topic, but I'm not interested in the politics of what happened on Wednesday. I want to talk about the psychological effect of that violence on us. And third, I want to talk about Christian character and Christian identity. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. What makes us different? How should we look and act differently from unsaved people, from secular people? So those are my three topics this morning. First, trauma and chronic stress. This mask is stressing me out right now. They don't have like extra large ones for you know guys with big noses. So I'm working on my uh, doctorate at Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, and every once in a while, they will send me an article that's been written by one of the professors there. Um, and last October, I got an article from Elizabeth Pennock, who teaches um, counseling uh, at the seminary, and it was an article about trauma and chronic stress during the COVID-19 pandemic. According to Pennock, quote, part of the clinical definition of a traumatic event is that it involves exposure to actual or threatened death. So at this point in the pandemic, one-tenth of one percent of Americans have died of COVID. So, and we're not out of the woods yet. About So that means like one out of every thousand people in this country have died from this uh, uh, disease. At this point, uh, HVPC has been spared any COVID deaths. We've had uh, a number of people test positive who have had mild symptoms. Um, we have one member uh, who is sick with the COVID right now who is uh, at home but seems to be getting better. Uh, he's hoping his family doesn't contract it. We have one man uh, in his 20s. He's not a member, but he's the son of one of our people, and he's in the hospital right now. I was speaking with his mother uh, yesterday, and he's there because he he can't breathe. So even if we've missed the bullet, the threat is around us. And this has been going on for, you know, coming on a year now. It's one thing to have a narrow escape from a tragedy or to suffer one sudden and unexpected blow and it's quite something else to face day after day after day the chance that something's going to go wrong there's a difference between being shot at once in a random hunting accident and being shot at every day in the trenches of a battlefield there's a difference between acute and chronic trauma and with the pandemic, the stress, the trauma has been chronic. It's been ongoing. It's been going on a long time, and it's still here. We're not, we're not done with it yet. And by the way, let's not forget that the stress and the trauma of the pandemic is not just a threat of the disease, but also the social disruption that's been caused by the shutdown. The fact that we're not seeing people 
the way that we're accustomed to seeing them, the fact that we're only half of us here in church on a Sunday, the fact that we weren't able to be with all of our families during the holidays, the loss of job and incomes, the loss of normal leisure activities like travel and movies and restaurants. I was on a Zoom call uh, this past week with one of our members who is at risk right now of losing his house because he's lost his job because he works in an industry that's been shut down by the pandemic. The stress and the trauma of the pandemic is not just the threat of the sickness, but it's also the threat of the social chaos and disruption that's been caused by the shutdown. So all of us are feeling it, and we've been feeling it for a long time at this point. Professor Pennock talks about some of the clinical symptoms of this kind of long-term stress and trauma. She lists them this way. Irritability, disturbance in sleep, avoidance of relationships and tasks, intrusive thoughts, decreased interest in things that used to be life-giving, difficulty concentrating, and depressed mood. Now maybe you've experienced some of those things. Certainly some people in your uh, life have experienced those things. Professor Pennock writes, trauma rips away the assumption that the world is basically a predictable, safe, and understandable place. Without a sense of safety... It is difficult to find rest for our bodies and our souls. As the months pass, we will increasingly, she's writing this in, back in October, as the months pass, we will increasingly feel the impact of the long-term state of vigilance of constantly looking ahead for the next threat. This last year has been exhausting because of the stress of the COVID pandemic but also because of the political and social unrest in this country. Which brings me to my next topic, the events of this past week in Washington. Last year, we saw a lot of rioting. We saw the looting of businesses. We saw courthouses occupied. We saw police stations burned to the ground. But... This past week, we saw something we haven't seen since the War of 1812. The halls of the national government were overrun and occupied by a mob. Both houses of Congress, our 535 federal lawmakers, plus the vice president of the nation, were in the building that day. And the law enforcement and the protective services that should have guarded those people failed and the building was besieged. It could have been terrible. What if one of those people had had a bomb? We're lucky that only five people died. It was a humiliating scene that you expect to see in a third world country, not in the capital of the most powerful and stable nation on earth. Current polling shows that a majority of Americans want President Trump removed from office immediately. By the way, that's a larger majority than voted for Joe Biden, which means that even some people who voted for President Trump 
want to see him out of office now. Professor Pennock writes, trauma rips away the assumption that the world is basically a predictable, safe, and understandable place. We are traumatized. We've been traumatized by a year of COVID threats and lockdowns. We've been traumatized by a year of political and social unrest in this country. But you know what I think is most important of all, and the thing that I have tried to focus on here in this congregation, we have also been traumatized in our relationships with family and friends. The trauma is not just what we see on television. The trauma has come closer to home. Forget about what's happening on the national stage for a minute. We're just regular folks here. The New York Times is not calling any of us up to comment on things. The president hasn't called any of you to help with the big problems. We're just regular people. But in our regular lives, in our relationships with family and friends, we are feeling the stress too. And it's taking its toll. So what do we do? What do we do as Christians? Which brings me to my third topic, Christian character and Christian identity. When the world is losing its mind, it's good to remember that though we are in this world, we are not of this world. Jesus, who was king of kings, said, my kingdom is not of this world. We belong to the kingdom of Christ. So what do citizens of that kingdom look like? Well, we could preach a hundred sermons on that topic. But this morning I want to just lift up a few scriptures that highlight Christian character and Christian identity. First, Christians are kind and they speak to other people in Kind ways. Ephesians 4, 29 through 32 says this. By the way, I'm, I'm, this translation that I'm using for the rest of these readings is called the easy reading version. I've been using it in chapel and, and I love it. It's very clear. The ERV. Um, Ephesians 4, 29 through 32. When you talk, don't say anything bad. But say the good things that people need. Whatever will help them grow stronger. Then what you say will be a blessing to those who hear you. And don't make the Holy Spirit sad. God gave you his spirit as proof that you belong to him. And he will keep you safe until the day that he makes you free. Never be bitter, angry, or mad. Never shout angrily. Or say things to hurt others. Never do anything evil. Be kind and loving to each other. Forgive each other the same as God forgave you through Christ. Because we are all under stress these days, I think we need to speak gently and kindly with each other. I believe that's more important now than ever. All of us have had a bad day. All of us are not feeling like our best selves. And so we need to be gentle 
with each other during this time. Second, Christians worry about their own sins, not the sins of others. Jesus said, why do you notice the small piece of dust that's in your friend's eye, but don't notice the big piece of wood that's in your eye? Why do you say to your friend, let me take the piece of dust out of your eye, look at yourself first. You still have that big piece of wood in your own eye. You're a hypocrite. First, take the wood out of your own eye, then you can see clearly to get the dust out of your friend's eye. We need less finger pointing and more self-examination. We need to stop complaining about what the other person did and start thinking about what we're doing. The Apostle Paul tells us why in Romans 14, verses 10 through 12. He writes, so why do you judge the behavior of your brothers and sisters? Why do you think that you're better than they are? We will all stand before God and he will judge us all. The scriptures say, as surely as I live, everyone will bow before me. Everyone will say that I am God. So each of us will have to explain to God about the things that we do. We will answer for ourselves. God will not be calling on us as a witness against other people. Third, Christians obey constituted authorities. Paul writes, all of you must obey the government rulers. Everyone who rules was given the power to rule by God. And all those who rule are now given that power by God. So anyone who is against the government is really against something God has commanded. Four years ago, the rallying cry of those, of some of those, disappointed by the outcome of the election was, not my president, and resist, even though that outcome had been reviewed by courts, certified by state legislatures, and reflected in the electoral college. Three separate levels of review. And this year... The rallying cry of some of those disappointed by the outcome of the election is stop the steal. Even though that outcome has been reviewed by the courts, certified by state legislatures, and reflected in the electoral college, three separate levels of review. We as Christians are called to obey our government. Fourth, Christians do not seek vengeance. In fact, they repay good for evil. Paul writes in Romans 12, 17 through 21, If someone does you wrong, don't try to pay them back by hurting them. Try to do what everyone knows is right. Do the best you can to live in peace with everyone My friends, do not try to punish anyone who does wrong to you. Wait for God to punish them with his anger. In the scriptures, the Lord says, I am the one who punishes. I will pay people back. But you should do this. If you have enemies who are hungry, give them something to eat. If you have enemies who are thirsty, 
Give them something to drink. In doing this, you will make them feel ashamed. Do not let evil defeat you, but defeat evil by doing good. Defeat evil by doing good. The world teaches that if someone punches you, you punch them back. The world teaches that if someone brings a knife to a fight, you bring a gun. But let me be blunt. The world is going to hell. And in the end, it's the good which will win. And fifth, Christians are humble and gentle and loving. Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. As a prisoner for the Lord, I beg you to live the way God's people should live because he chose you to be his. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient. Accept one another with love. Paul also writes in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. God has chosen you and made you his holy people. He loves you. So your new life should be like this. Show mercy to others. Be kind, humble, gentle, patient. Don't be angry with each other, but forgive each other. If you feel someone has wronged you, forgive them. Forgive them because the Lord forgave you. Together with these things, the most important part of your new life is to love each other. Love is what holds everything together in perfect unity. We're living in stormy times. We've come through a very difficult year. And when times are stormy and tough, we need to remind ourselves of who we belong to. So let me close today's meditation with some reassuring words from the Apostle Paul, a man who lived through much harder times than we're living in right now. Paul writes to the church at Philippi, always be filled with joy in the Lord. I'll say it again. Be filled with joy. Let everyone see that you're gentle and kind. The Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything, but pray and ask God for everything that you need, always giving thanks for what you have. And because you belong to Christ Jesus, God's peace will stand guard over all your thoughts and feelings. His peace can do this far better than our human minds. Brothers and sisters, continue to think about what is good and worthy of praise. Think about what is true and honorable and right and pure and beautiful and respected. And do what you learned and received from me, what I told you and what you saw me do. And the God who gives peace will be with you, will be with us. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray.
Father God, we come to you as uh, people who are broken and needy. People who are living in a broken and hurting world. And we call upon you and beg your mercy. Lord, we recognize that you are right and good and true and beautiful. And we admit that the troubles of this life have been caused by us and by human sin. And so we do we do come to you recognizing that you're the only one who can help us out. We need you to save us from ourselves. We need you to save us from the troubles of our times. We need you to save us from the difficulties of our lives. We pray this morning for Carrie. We ask that her treatment would go well, that her wound would heal. We pray for Deb's sprained ankle and ask that would be returned to full health. We pray for Aunt Cynthia and her pneumonia. We ask that she would be strong. We pray for Ruthie who is suffering from back pain. We ask for peace and healing in our nation. We ask for justice and the end of this pandemic. Lord, we do pray for change in our country, that we would heal and show the true love of Christ and equality for all people. Lord, we pray for our many responsibilities in our work and in our schooling. We ask that you would give us an eagerness to receive feedback and criticism from those who are put over us and who love us and are working for our good. We pray for our families and our work. We pray for our health. We pray for our communities. Lord, we pray for Paul and Elizabeth and Emma who are sick right now with the COVID. We pray for Alan as well who's in the hospital with COVID. Lord, we pray that you would heal these people. We pray that you would heal our nation. Lord, give us the strength to endure these times. Lord, you never send troubles to your people to destroy them. You send troubles to your people only to strengthen them and to develop them in Christian character. And I pray that the troubles of our time would draw us closer to one another rather than driving us apart. I pray that we would be driven to our knees in humility. I pray that we would <clears throat> learn to be <coughs> gentle with one another. <coughs> Lord, we offer all of these prayers. In the name of Jesus, who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.